Okay, I'm not sure if it's coming out or not. You can turn to Ezekiel 1 in your Bibles this morning. I'm very happy to be here and, and preaching to you this morning. I know that it'll be sad to go back to school. I'm excited because it's senior year. It's last year, but it's also very sad to leave again. I know you're in very capable hands, and I trust that whatever happens to the church, that the Lord will bless each one of you. It's not on. Is that better? Well, there's a green light on. Okay, we'll just go with it. I'll just talk loud. Uh, yeah, if you come back tonight, I, I'm excited. There's pictures and videos from Israel. Uh, should be should be interesting. Time for questions and whatnot. It was a wonderful experience this uh, for the majority of the time, uh, teaching and preaching to kids there two or three times a week, and then in Israel for two weeks. So it's a good, it was a good summer, and I'm excited to show that tonight. Um, this morning, though, however, we'll be in Ezekiel 1, and I'll start off with a, a quick uh, illustration. Perhaps some of you are nerds like myself. You like Lord of the Rings. You like The Hobbit. You like the books by J.R.R. Tolkien. And uh, if you're like me, you know that the author, Tolkien, of those books likes to put these little creatures, these hobbits, these ugly little things that are very unexpected and incapable, he likes to put great power and these great tasks into their, their hands. And ultimately, they have to go and they have to help defeat forces of evil. And in The Hobbit, uh, the book has the first chapter and it's entitled An Unexpected Party. And this great wizard named Gandalf comes and he surprises this little this little hobbit guy, and then 13 rude dwarves come into their house as well, and they have chosen him for this unexpected task. He's their burglar. He's going to go with them on this long journey. He's going to go through orc-infested woods. He's going to go into a mountain, and he has to steal from a dragon, and then ultimately he helps them, and he defeats these, these great evil armies. And these types of stories are fun, and they're intriguing to us because we often, I think, wonder how someone so small and unexpected can complete a task so impossible and large and crazy to think about. And so this morning, we're going to look at a, a different unexpected task, an indifferent, unexpected encounter in the Bible in this, in this chapter in Ezekiel. Uh, if you're not very familiar with this book, that's okay. I, I admit I wasn't very familiar with this. I, don't, I, never, I never even remember reading this. Um, until I came back from Israel, and I was curious, I did some research on all the different armies that have conquered Israel and uh, the Jewish people over the years, and Babylonians were one of those people. And that's where we are in this book. So if you don't have a, a scripture this morning, um, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 28 verses, but it's very detailed, and I want us to, to read the whole thing. So I'm just going to pray briefly, and then we'll, we'll get started this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd show us this morning from the scriptures, uh, what you would have us to see, that it would be encouraging, that it would be helpful, and that it would be eye-opening to us this morning. Father, I pray that my words would express your truth um, and that you'd give me peace and wisdom as I, I try to portray uh, your word today. And I pray, amen. So this is a really, this is a really bizarre book. Um, people over the years have not wanted to study. In fact, Jewish people that are studying to go uh, into students of the scriptures, students of the Torah are often discouraged from studying this book until they're 30 years old because they're worried that they might get too discouraged because it's too hard to understand and they'll fall away from the, the, the Torah. 
And so I am not 30 yet. I'm only 21, so hopefully this isn't too foolish. But I'm going to try to express this morning what I think chapter 1 wants us to, to see about God. There's a very unexpected encounter here. So I'm just going to start reading in verse 1. And if you have a Bible, follow along. If not, just try to listen as I read. It's entitled Ezekiel in Babylon. Verse 1 says, In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chabar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Bazai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And here's where the vision starts. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of this, it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces. Each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under the wings on their four sides, they had human hands, and on the four sides had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. Verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had a face of an ox on the left side. Four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another while two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Verse 15. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance on the wheels of their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were with a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When they went, these went, and when those stood, these stood, and when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels." Over the heads of the living creatures, there was a likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystals spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body, and when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings." And above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the rainbow that is in the cloud of the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around." 
Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. I know that was long, and I know it's very odd. It sounds very weird, and you may wonder why in the world did we read that whole thing. It's because of the details that are in it and just the bizarreness of it. There's lots of metaphors in here today, and I believe that we can really learn a lot about God just from this weird chapter. So, if you, if you know anything about Ezekiel, okay, this guy's never mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. It's only in this book. He's been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, and he's been, uh, he's been in captivity living in these refugee camps for five years now. So he's just turning 30 years old. He's in the land of Babylon, far away from Jerusalem where he grew up, and he's upset because on his 30th birthday, he was set to become a priest in Jerusalem. He was training and five years uh, after he was taken captive, he was supposed to become this great priest at the age of 30. So here it is in verse 1. It says in his 30th year, he's turned 30 now, and he's probably very discouraged. He's not the priest that he trained to be like his dad. But instead, God comes to him, and he's going to make him a prophet. So we're going to look at this, this bizarre chapter and see what it means for Ezekiel. Later on, we know that he has many different tasks that he, has to, that he has to cover. If you know anything about the rest of this book, it gets even weirder than this first chapter. He's, uh, he has to cut off his hair. God commands him to do these different things. So one of them is he has this like divine barbershop thing that he does. And he shaves off all his hair and he throws it in the air and he cuts it up into thirds, which is real interesting. Uh, and then he has to, he builds this model city, like a toy little model city of Jerusalem, and he's knocking it over, and he's kind of showing what's going to happen with it. He's showing destruction on this model. Um, and then he is bound by the Lord, and he lays like a scapegoat, like a sacrifice on his side for over a year, and he has to have his face up towards Jerusalem, and he has to eat food that is cooked over cow dung, feces, and all this weird stuff, and you wonder, this guy is just interesting character and a lot of people think he's loony because he's so crazy and he does these weird things but today we're going to see how he's able to do that and the vision of God that he has here enables him and it readies him for these great tasks that he has ahead and that's what we need to be uh, ready for as well I think the Lord is going to enable us and ready us to do some tasks through this passage so we open up and we see him he's by this refugee camp and and here comes this vision of God and, and I have three points this morning. It shouldn't be too long. Uh, the first one is that the superiority of God. The superiority of God. The chapter, like we, we've read, is all about God. From the beginning to the end, we see God on display. It's all about the Lord. One of my favorite pastors and teachers, Stephen Lawson, says, says it like this. This is a soul-stirring jaw-dropping, knee-bending, mind-boggling, knees-buckling, heart-throbbing, eyes-popping, life-changing, lips-praising, faith-enlarging vision of our God. It's such a massive uh, undertaking to describe what God looks like to Ezekiel that he has, he has no words. He uses metaphors, just like the passage in Revelation that we just read, that Dad just read a little while ago. There's so many things that say, it was like this, it was like this. Ezekiel he doesn't even know the words to describe this great, gloriful, uh, glorious picture of God. Uh, so if you'll, if you'll look in your Bibles or just listen again, let your eyes kind of glance along uh, the passage and, and listen to some of these phrases. It's, it's very glorious, and you'll see these different attributes of God on display. All these things that Ezekiel says are just these bright, wondrous, awesome things. 
uh, brightness, verse 4, flashing, gleaming metal, burnished bronze, burning coals of fire, torches, the fire was bright, flash of lightning. Um, then he goes on in uh, tall and awesome, verse uh, 22, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, sounds like water, sounds like an army, sapphire, gleaming metal later on in 27, the appearance of fire, brightness around him like the appearance of a rainbow, the appearance of brightness all around, fire, brightness, all these things are just if you, if you can imagine just these massive quantities of a bright flashing fire, this is what Ezekiel's trying to get across, this very glorious, um, awestruck vision that he has here. So everything Ezekiel sees is so grand, he doesn't know how to describe it. And uh, I was recently going through a, a book about Norman Rockwell, and uh, he's one of my favorite painters. He painted Saturday Evening Post, all those classic, uh, just cool little pictures on the, on the front of those magazines, and you often hear a picture is worth a thousand words, and I was looking through this book, and there's pictures that I thought, man, there's a few thousand words worth in here. These stories just, you know, it's one picture, but it tells such a funny or, or cute story, and not even those few thousand words would describe what Ezekiel sees here. There is no amount of words that he can come up with to describe this superior vision of God that he sees, it is truly just amazing to him. His holiness is being especially, uh, is, uh, being especially guarded. So these four creatures, these servants of God, are real interesting as well. You could preach a whole different sermon on them. Uh, if you look down in verse uh, 28, he falls on his face because he's so awestruck by these things, all right? So we know from a later chapter in Ezekiel that these are, in fact, angels. They're cherubim, which is a special kind of angel that protects God's holiness. That's their duty. So their whole duty is, is if you can imagine it, okay, picture this kind of heavenly chariot coming in, and he comes in with this great cloud of, of thunder and smoke, and these four angels are covering his holiness with two of their wings. It says they have four wings. Two of them are outstretched like this, so they're forming a square, kind of like a box, to form around this chariot-type throne. And then their other wings are protecting themselves because they can't, they're protecting his holiness from other people, and then they're also guarding themselves because he's so holy, they can't even be near him. They're protecting him in, in such a way that is just covering every part of his holiness. And again, Ezekiel has an impossible time describing them. It's all very metaphorical. Um, look, look with me in some of these, some of these verses uh, starting in verse 15, or, or excuse me, uh, let's see, how about uh, verse 6 and 7 starts talking about their faces and their legs. All these different faces uh, have different meanings, okay? So they have four faces. Just try to imagine as best you can. It's, it's such a weird picture to, to try to think of, but try to imagine these four things. They're in a kind of a square shape, and they each have four faces, which shows they're looking every which way all the time. Nothing is going to surprise them, okay? They have a human face, which is showing their smarts. They have a lion's face, which is courageous. Uh, they have an ox's face, which is steadfast and committed. And then an eagle's, which is quick and swift. And all of those attributes are how they're serving the Lord in different ways. They're strong. They're steadfast to him. They're quick. They're brilliant creatures, they each have four wings. They're very fast. Their straight legs are very strong. Their calves' feet are sure-footed and agile. 
and their human hands are very skilled, and they're darting all around the earth doing whatever the Lord wants for them because they are in his command, they respect him, they honor him because of his holiness. And much like them, I, 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 wish, I, could, I wish I could be part of their, I wish I could have part of their attitude when I serve the Lord. They're, they're so ready to do whatever he wants, and we'll look at that in a little bit more. Um, so, so here he comes, okay, the Lord is coming in, and he's, he's carried by these great creatures, and he comes in on this uh, very bold and stormy cloud, and even this is a metaphor, okay, so he's coming in, and he's showing them, he comes in from the north, it says, and you probably didn't even think about that when reading, but it says in the, in the first verse, or in the second verse, he comes in from the north, and if you know anything about Jerusalem, I just was there, and it's really cool to envision in my head because I have pictures, which you'll see tonight. And all the, all the uh, way around Jerusalem, the holy city, there's mountains, and there's only one way you can come in to conquer Jerusalem, and that's from the north. So there's this hole kind of in the hills that armies would come from. And they're coming in, and they're attacking, and everybody who ever attacked Jerusalem comes in from the north. And here, the Lord is coming in from the north on this great thunderstorm, and it's a metaphor to show that, listen, I'm coming in and more judgment and more wrath is going to come on you, and I'm going to use Ezekiel in these weird ways to warn you about what I, what I have to come. So he's a superior God. He's glorious. He's holy. And he's coming with this wrathful judgment on these people. And Ezekiel needed this exactly in his time in his life. Here he is. He's far away from his holy city and his, his, uh, the promised land. And it is here that God appears to him. God often appears to us in these very hard times. And little does Ezekiel know he's about to become this great mouthpiece for God's uh, mission. Okay, So much like the little hobbit and the silly hobbit illustration that I use, Bilbo, he's this unexpected guy who's going to do these very odd things and help the Lord in this great mission. So he's superior God, the superiority of God. And next, we have the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. If you look at verses 15 to 24, okay? So he says, Now as I looked at these living creatures, which we've talked about a little bit, he saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them, okay? So they're guarding this kind of heavenly chariot, and, and kind of underneath each of them, he says there's a wheel within a wheel. So if you can imagine kind of this gyroscope thing, he's got a wheel, and inside of it there's another wheel, so they never have to turn. They just go whatever direction they ever want. This thing is, is uh, it's just this amazing uh, kind of uh, machine almost that can just do whatever it wants. It plows over uh, whatever it feels uh, it needs to, to go over. So each cherub has a sparkling wheel inside of it, or underneath it. It can go anywhere. It can steamroll whoever and whatever God wants. And he can reverse history or change the nation, whatever he pleases, for blessing or for curse. That's kind of what the, those wheels are showing there. He can go wherever he wants, whenever he wants. God can do anything that he wants and however he wants to do it. And then the rims of these wheels, okay, are filled with these many eyes, which is just a kind of a creepy looking thing that I imagine, this wheel with a bunch of eyes in it, seeing everything. And what that is showing us is that God is omniscient and he sees all and he knows all about us. He sees the, the past and the present and the future and nothing will ever be a surprise to him. Nothing will ever be hidden from him. 
Verse 19 shows this great sense of unity with these uh, living creatures. It says, when the living creatures went, the wheels went. Living creatures rose, the wheels rose. Okay? Verse 20, wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went. So whatever God wants them to do, basically, it goes on. They'll do it. They have this unity. They have the reverence for Him. They just go wherever He wants. There's no questions asked. Everything is always in sync with God's plan. And it's always perfect in your life. He never has to wait to do something. These wheels, like I said, don't even have to turn. They just go whatever direction they want. He's able to pivot and move history whenever and however he wants. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. His sovereignty is truly on display here. His plan is perfect, and he can do, like I've said, whatever he wants. So, as Ezekiel later on in this book will find out, he's going to do these weird things, like I've said, and pretty soon these rulers of, of Babylon and the rulers of the, the captives that he's with, these 10,000 other Jews, start thinking of him very odd, and they, and they kind of treat him like he's, he's a psycho. I mean, he's lying on his side for a year, eating off of dung, and then he flips over and goes to the other side and is bound in that side for another 40 days or something. And they're, they're probably just thinking, Ezekiel, whatever you're saying, I don't want to hear it. It's odd. It's gross. It's, it's bizarre. And God would not uh, let that judgment come on us again. So he's getting lots of trouble from the rulers. And then the hardest thing that Ezekiel will ever have to face is that later on in the book, God lets his wife die. To, to, as a sign to Israel that judgment and wrath is upon them. And right when Ezekiel wants to respond to that, God says to him, you're not allowed to mourn or be, be sad over this at all. He commands Ezekiel, one of his commands is to be strong, and he's not allowed to even mourn over his dead wife. That's in chapter 24. And here, that's an example of Ezekiel being enabled and readied to complete his odd tasks in obedience because he's sustained through these weird trials by the sovereignty of God. It's a perfect sovereignty and his perfect plan. And in the same way, it's that same sovereignty that allows us to be sustained when trials will come upon us as Christians. God sustains us in his sovereign way. This vision strengthens our confidence in God's sovereignty. It, it helped and strengthened Ezekiel, and it may help and strengthen us as well. Now, there's nothing soothing or quiet about this scene. You may think of these, these words here like these creatures are lightning bolts, they're torches, they're rushing waters, they're loud sound of armies, okay? Um, there's a great expanse above each creature, and they're, they're darting to and fro, and Ezekiel was seeing this wild scene above him in the sky and these great expanses over him. And yet there's one thing that these creatures will quiet down for, there's one thing that these creatures will settle down and listen to, and that's this voice that they hear, okay? And it's here that we see this great throne, okay? So he's the superiority of God, the sovereignty of God, and then lastly, the Son of God in verse 25 to 28. So he says, There came a voice from above the expanse of their heads, and this, of course, will make the creatures stand still, and they let down their wings. They let down their, their guard. And above the expanse, there was a likeness of a throne, verse 26, in appearance like sapphire, 
and seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with human appearance. Okay, so in these couple verses, this whole vision, this whole weird picture of these bizarre creatures, this weird chariot thing, this wind, this lightning, this storm, it comes to a climax here. And the voice he's about to hear is so powerful, it brings all of his mighty servants to a complete standstill. So back in the ancient world, these Jewish people would kind of think of God as this thing that lived in their holy temple, okay? So these guys that are in captivity, they're, they're away from their home, they're away from Jerusalem, and they're thinking God is back in the temple where we left him. He's a mighty God, but he's staying there. That's kind of where they would go to worship him, they would go talk to him there, and, and he never came out. That was kind of like his home. It was the local house that they would put him in. And he's refined to that. However, God comes to this wicked, idol-worshipping city of Babylon where they are now and on this heavenly chariot and he shows that even though the Jewish people are in exile, there is still a sovereign king on the throne and his reign can never be changed or it can never be stopped and he will be the one who rescues them. He's on this throne. He's showing them that he is still the king and he shows that Jehoiachin, the guy that we mentioned in the second verse, this guy that you probably will never care about again is not the one in command. He's not the real king, but he, God, is still the king. Okay? So there's an appearance of a man, verse 26, and many have seen this as this prelude to Christ, Jesus Christ himself coming later on. He sees this bright fire, Ezekiel does, all around him, more bright fire, more burning coals, and he can do nothing else than fall on his face. So just like the, the passage we read before, the Revelation passage, John falls on his face. There's other passages in the Bible, in Genesis, in Joshua, and Daniel, where these people will fall on their face when they see the presence of the Lord. There's no other response that is worthy. All they do is fall because they're so awestruck and humbled and fearful of this God that they've come across. This is very much like the, the light that blinded Saul on the road to Damascus. This is the first thing I thought of when I read this passage is because it's the only thing that really has any other uh, kind of similarity to something else in the Bible is when Saul was going on to, Mas- on to Damascus, he's killing many Christians, he's on the road, all of a sudden this heavenly light blinds him and the only response he has to that is Lord. And truly, this is the same Lord here in this Old Testament passage in Ezekiel that Ezekiel falls on his face for. And truly, this is the Lord our God. It's a breathtaking sight. And it's the only sight, it's the only response that is appropriate for Ezekiel here is to fall on his face. Someone said, it's better to fall on our face before him, before God, than be on our feet anywhere else on the world. You could be the king of kings, you could be the president, you could be the ruler of the entire world, and it would not compare to being on your knees before this holy God. And I'm, I'm getting close to my, my ending points here, but the one thing that is helpful to think about is this illustration that James Montgomery Boyce, he's a commentator, he's a teacher, he, he came up with this thing called the teeter-totter effect, Okay. I know I'm probably one of the only people that still goes on teeter-totters just because it's very fun and I still very enjoy it and I'm probably too cruel to the people that are on the other end when I jump off or whatever and let them fly off. But this is a, it's a, it's a good thing to think about because it's easy. I like to think in pictures and it's easy to, to realize this when you think about it this way. So here's the teeter-totter. And when you see God in the right view, okay, 
which is obviously way up here. So picture God up on this side of a, I don't want to say God is on a teeter-totter, but just think of it this way for a minute. He's up here. When you're thinking about him in the correct way, the only other option is that you're way down on the other side, this lowly, humble creature that you really are. Okay? That's what we are. But when we see ourselves, I'm trying to get my elbow up there as high as possible, when we, when we view ourselves as this worthy creature, which we all do, we all are selfish, we all want what we want, and we want to be up here, we want to be deserving, we want to be worthy, we want to be worshipped, we want what we want, we want our desires. When we see ourselves as this, as this kind of okay person, then the only other option is that you're putting God down in this spot, which is unworthy, and it's unholy, and it's unright, and it's small, and you're putting God and you're making him very insignificant. And, and of course, as you're reading this passage in Ezekiel, God is not the one that is down on this side of the teeter-totter. He's way above here. It's a teeter-totter that doesn't even have a you know, correct uh, angle here. God is just above, and there's no other option. That is the only right option, is God is at the top, and you are a lowly sinner. We must view him as the holy son of God that came from his throne. He came from this heavenly chariot 2,000 years ago to Jerusalem, to that city. He sent his son, and he died on the cross for my sin, for your sin, for everybody's sin, so that we might be able to one day partake in the same glory that the angels are protecting in this passage. Romans 8 talks about how he's called us and he's justified us and he's glorified us. And if you've answered that call to salvation, that means one day when we pass into eternity, you will be sharing a part of that same glory with this same God. It's the same unchanging God forever. The same God that's talked about in this interesting passage is the same God that we will one day be in the same presence of praising him and, sh- and sharing in that glory. talks about how God's already glorified us. We're already sharing in a part of that now. And if, you, if you're not saved, you aren't sharing in that and you will never share in that glory. You must view God as the higher part of that teeter-totter and you must realize that you are the sinner down here. I must realize that and I must repent daily must take up my cross and follow him on a daily basis if I'm to keep God up here and keep myself down here. That's the only option. There's no other correct option. So this unexpected encounter that Bilbo Baggins had in my illustration at the beginning from The Hobbit takes him on this great journey to do great things. Okay, This unexpected guy does unexpected things. This unexpected encounter with Ezekiel will continue to remind Ezekiel of God's glory and sovereignty, and it will enable him to do these great and glorious things for Lord. People may reject him, just like they may reject us in this city of Romeo as we go out and we want to bring people into this church, or you want to, you want to witness to people, okay? People are going to laugh at you, they're going to mock you, just like they did to Ezekiel. They're going to think, you are wrong, you are loony, you are weird, and yet God, through his sovereignty and his perfect plan, will enable us and strengthen us and ready us for these great tasks ahead. So this unexpected encounter that Ezekiel had has now been shown to us through this chapter as well as revealed that same God to us. And my my goal today is, is to show us just how worthy God is of our adoration. And then maybe if you have time to go through the rest of this book and see just how God 
is sovereign and keeps providing for Ezekiel as he does these weird things for him. So may we go on and live our lives now in great obedience to that same king who deserves all of our worship, all of our praise, and all of our glory so that we may one day join him with them in this glory and, and he may say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and you will know that you truly did all that you could in obedience through these weird tasks that God has that he may strengthen you uh, for his glory. So that, that's what I was encouraged through this passage. I, I urge you, if you're not trusting in this God that we have just read about, this God that deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, read this passage again and, and, and critique yourself and see if you're on this side and you're putting yourself at this worthy position or if you're viewing God in the right way and seeing yourself as a lowly sinner. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for your, your word. And we know that every, every word of Scripture is true and every word of Scripture is profitable. And even in this interesting and almost bizarre passage in Ezekiel, we can see these great truths about you, our God. And I pray that for all of us in here, we would continue to try to live lives that rightly hold you and respect you in the position that you deserve, Father. You are a glorious God. You are a holy God. You are a sovereign God that sent your Son to die for us. And I pray that we would remember that and that we would repent of our sins and and remember to follow you. Father, thank you for everybody that is here today. Pray that you'd bless us and uh, give us rest before returning this evening. In your name I pray, amen.